The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to Round Ball Stew. I am Matt Straup. It is Friday, September 2nd, and today we are going to be breaking down all of the fantasy fallout from the blockbuster trade of Donovan Mitchell to the Cavs, plus some other notable recent headlines. To do this, I'm joined by Raphael Johnson and Steve Alexander, and I'm pleased to say that Dr. A, everyone you'll be glad to know, pulled a vintage move this morning. I got a text from Steve this morning at 10 a.m., a couple hours before he started this, saying, I just woke up in a complete panic. Steve, it's been too long since we had a Dr. A panic. Oh, no, I overslept the podcast. I'm, I'm just happy. I feel like we're home again. Yeah, I mean, it mean I can feel the season getting getting very close. <laughs> yeah, for um, sure. When, when, when I'm having nightmares and and uh, sleep terror because of this podcast, uh, you know the season is is just around the corner. It's great news. I did. I woke up. I think it was like nine fifty eight. But you know, I I've got my phone completely silenced. So if yeah. it rings, if, some, if you call me, my phone doesn't make any noise whatsoever. The only way I know you're calling is if I happen to be looking at it. The only thing that makes noise on my phone is my alarm. And, you know, I have a very intricate alarm system. We know. Yes. And, uh, I, I actually had it set for 1130 today, but I woke up and everything was dark. My wife was gone. It was just me and the dog. And I was like, oh, my God, it's got to be like two o'clock. <laughs> I mean, this this got to the point, Steve, where like last year you gave me your son's phone number. And you're like, if you ever can't reach me, <laughs> text him, call him. If you ever need, if you ever absolutely need me, I have, it has not come to that, fortunately. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think I told you this, but for the member guest uh, golf tournament this year, I was, I slept right through, right up until the tea time. And I, my wife was getting calls. My son was getting calls. Uh, my buddy was about ready to drive over here. And I woke up like literally nine minutes before we were supposed to tee off. Yeah. Got in my car, drove over there as fast as I could. Like, they drove me out. They drove me out to the tee box. I, I didn't have shoes on at that point, uh, but I, I made my tee time and we won our flight. So whatever. Raph, I've never had an issue with you coming close to oversleeping. You just seem like you actually have your life together, unlike Steve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm usually an early riser. I think yeah. kind of goes back to like sports days where you had early morning workouts or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And that's when you're really scared to death to miss your alarm because. Oh, man. That's extra running, not just for you, but for everyone else. Right. And there's nothing worse than having like over a hundred people pissed off at you yeah. because you missed something. Yeah. The, ter- so. yeah, the terror that I that I can compare to that is working like a remote TV production, like covering the mm-hmm. Olympics. You're you're over there for the Olympics, and you go to sleep exhausted and just like yeah, you know, I so scared waking up. You like spring out of bed and like check the time immediately. <laughs> you know, like oh. Oh, okay, I didn't oversleep. You know, it's it's absolutely terrifying. Yeah, it's terrifying stuff. You know, you when you wake up, you're like two hours from being on the air. You know, so it's like running over, getting ready. Mm-hmm. Frightening stuff. Should we talk? And about then it you're some more? then you're awake. Like those two hours, you could have been sleeping. They're they're gone. Yeah, you might as well just watch <laughs> Oprah. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, we have a huge blockbuster to 
to unpack here to talk about. We're going to talk about all the fantasy fallout. So let's start with just big picture, the details of the trade. Everyone probably knows this by now, but we'll just reset it. It was heading to the Jazz, Colin Sexton, Lowry Markkinen, 2022 first-round pick, Ochai Agbaji, three future first-round picks, and two pick swaps going from the Cavs to the Jazz for a guy by the name of Donovan Mitchell. First of all, just reactions. I want to hear your reactions to what the Jazz got for Mitchell. Raph, what were your thoughts on this return? I thought they got a good return here. Uh, much was made about what Danny Ainge was looking for in terms of draft capital. You get three unprotected first and then two swaps in there. So five total first-round picks mm-hmm. um, that they're going to have some sort of control over. Uh, so that's really good. You get a promising rookie in Ochag Baji. You can mm-hmm. pair him up with Walker Kessler. Kind of use those guys as early building blocks in this rebuild. Colin Sexton's probably the interesting thing for me. I think he gained the most from a fantasy standpoint in yeah. this trade. But the question is, even though Utah gave him the deal to facilitate this trade, $72 million over four years, how how convinced are they that he could potentially be another building block for them down mm-hmm. the line? Um, Lowry Markinen, he showed promise. I thought he played well in Cleveland last season. Uh, injuries have been an issue for him at times, so we'll see what he can give them there. But you get three players on 25 or younger, five draft picks. I think you have to like that for the return he got from Mitchell. Yeah, and Steve, I want to hear your thoughts in just a second. And we are going to get into, you know, the outlook, the fantasy outlook for some of those guys you mentioned, Sexton, Markinen, Akbaji, on and on. But Steve, your reaction is just big picture to the trade first. Uh, big picture for the trade. I think, uh, one, that was a lot. That was a lot <laughs> yeah. to pay for Donovan Mitchell, right? Uh, two, Utah now looks like Oklahoma City Jr. They're collecting first-round yeah. draft picks. They're not done yet either because Mike Conley probably is not there mm-hmm. for the long haul. Um, who else? Boyan Bogdanovich, get? you'd have to think. We'll talk about that. Too. Yeah, Boyan Bogdanovich. Uh, also, I think it might be Nikhil Alexander Walker's birthday, Matt. Just I, really I'm not sure. I think I saw something on Twitter about that whoa, last night. Whoa, whoa. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna dive into that while you keep talking. Also, on the Cleveland side of things, I, I, I kind of love this trade for both teams. Like the the Cavaliers have four really good starters now. Like they're they're going to be a really good team in the East. And then mm-hmm. Utah's got all this youth and all these draft picks. So I like it for both teams. It was really ex- an expensive trade. But, you know, w- the only problem I see is that Chetty Osman is still – there's still a Chetty pill possibly in the starting lineup. <laughs> and I don't think you want a Chetty pill in the middle of, of one of the most dynamic wow. teams in the East. I cannot wait until week four rolls around. For some reason, we're adding Chetty Osman <laughs> off waivers. But we'll get into all that. Let, let's start with the Mitchell side of this and, and the, the Cavs side of this. So he goes to Cleveland, Raph. We'll be playing alongside Darius Garland. Do you think Mitchell and Garland can you know maintain something close to their numbers from last year now that they're playing together? Do you worry about you know both guys' usage taking a hit here? What's your outlook for those two star guards in Cleveland? I think usage-wise, they're both bound to take a hit just because they both had the ball in their hands so much last season. Um, I forget. I think it was Kevin Pelton of ESPN who noted this, but Cleveland ranked 21st in the league in terms of like pick-and-roll actions per 100 possessions. I think that's going to go up significantly here, um, where you can you have Mitchell who can play off the pick-and-roll. I think Garland's going to be more capable of doing so um, as he continues to improve throughout his career. So I think we'll see more of that. 
they're both going to have the ball in their hands plenty. You've got Jared Allen. You've got Evan Mobley. I think Mobley and Allen could be worth watching defensively. You know, we already were watching them, but because you have two undersized guards in that starting backcourt, there's going to be a bit more on them than that fifth starter spot. I think you have to lean Isaac Okoro. He hasn't done much offensively, but what he brings defensively may be what pushes him over, say, a Karis LeVert for that fifth starter spot. Steve, Donovan Mitchell was 24th in nine category leagues this past season, around 26 points, four boards, five assists. Darius Garland was number 37 in nine category leagues, around 22 points, eight and a half assists. Do you take the under on the points and assists for both guys? Do you, I mean, how, how much do you downgrade either or both in fantasy, if at all? Not much. Not much. I mean, Garland concerns me a little bit more than Mitchell. I think Mitchell's going to be the alpha dog here, I think. He, just because he's been in the league longer, he's, he's the guy. But, you know, Garland got to play the whole season last year without Colin Sexton for the most part. And mm-hmm. he was kind of out there by himself in that backcourt. And, you know, Ike Koro was playing a lot of minutes alongside him and he, he doesn't, he didn't have the ball in his hands. He, he's not really an offensive threat. So it's going to be weird for Garland, I think. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, this reminds me a little bit, I was talking to somebody locally about the Atlanta Hawks with DeJounte Murray and Trey Young trying to play together. And, you know, one of my buddies, Daniel said, well, I, I was excited about it at first, but now I'm kind of worried about it. Like now I'm starting to stress about how DeJounte and Trey Young are going to function together. And I mean, we could say the same thing about Cleveland, but in today's NBA, I, I mean, I think the more studs you have yeah. and the more positions you have, everybody will just adjust and, and move forward. So maybe downgrade those guys, you know, a couple spots. But I'm, I mean, Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell are both going to get theirs. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think I, I might look at Darius Garland's, you know, almost 22 and nine from last year and say, can this guy really get nine assists again now that he's playing with Mitchell? But like you said, I mean, I don't think we're going to, I'm going to move him dramatically down or anything like that. Maybe I, maybe I envision more like seven, seven and a half assists than eight and a half, but he's still a stud and, you know, don't overthink it in, in all of the cases we just mentioned, Mitchell, Garland, Trey Young, DeJounte Murray. I mean, don't overthink it. As for the rest of this Cavs team, for me, not a lot of questions when it comes to Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, who we already mentioned. I, I feel like their roles are pretty solidified. I think the big fantasy remaining spot of intrigue is small forward. Now, we obviously talked about uh, Jetty Osmond already. Uh, Raph, you already mentioned Okoro. I mean, the Cavs were playing that big lineup with Markin at the three. That's obviously gone. Now we'll talk about Markin in a minute. But Who's the fantasy guy here, Raph? Is it potentially Karis LeVert coming off the bench who's the fifth most relevant fantasy guy on this roster? That's what I think, just because he brings the most to the table offensively in mm-hmm. terms of ability to score and make plays. Okoro, we're still waiting for his jump shot to come around. That really hasn't happened yeah. to this point. Here is this year three now? Uh, year three. Okay. This yeah. is year three. <laughs> But defensively, I think he offers the most, like I said earlier, you know, when you're playing a smaller backcourt, the defensive ability of that three three man is of utmost importance. So mm-hmm. I think it's going to be him. I know Chetty Osmond had his moments, but I have a hard time believing that he's going to beat out either Levert or Okoro for that fifth starter spot. There's somehow just no stopping Chetty Osmond, Steve, from, from a week, <laughs> a, one to eight weeks of relevance every season. Well, our depth charts, which I don't think have really been scrubbed clean since since the deal went down, to have Jetty in there. But I, I kind of think we could see the return of, of Karis LeVert this year. I'm with Roth. Like, let's not forget, 
that last year in Brooklyn, he was 18 and a half. Well, that was only 12 games. But but he, he was traded from Brooklyn to Indy. He averaged 18.5 in Brooklyn. He averaged 20.7 points in Indy in 2020 and 21. That was in 35 games. So he was over 20 points. He was about five boards, five assists. Like, he was a really good player before he got hurt. He got hurt. We didn't see him for a long time. He's come back. He's, he got traded again to Cleveland. So I think we might see the return of, of Karis LeVert this year to, to form, where he could score you know, somewhere around 17, 17 points, five boards, five assists, if he's in that starting lineup, which I think given what we've seen out of the Chetty Bill over the last three years, I don't know anyone in the Cleveland organization that would think starting Osman would be a, a great idea at this point. So hopefully Karis LeVert is in there at small forward. You know, I'd like him better fantasy-wise if he was a six-man. Interesting. Because, you know, we got Garland, you got Mitchell. Those guys are going to have high usage numbers. Right. Mobley, Allen, you know, Levert. Wouldn't he kind of be a catch-and-shoot guy in that fifth starter role? I kind of worry about that when it comes to his fantasy value if he's placed in that position as opposed to them saying, all right, you and Kevin Love anchor the second unit, go get yours. I would like him a lot more fantasy-wise if that were the case and if he were starting. Interestingly, he's in a similar spot like to Bogdan Bogdanovich with the Hawks where mm. you know now they added a, a big name in the backcourt and Bogdan's probably coming off the bench as well, but that's not necessarily a bad thing, like you said, Raph, for the fantasy outlook. Yeah, I mean, any fantasy value that Levert has this season is going to be is going to be a pleasant surprise just because it's been a lost it's been a lost couple of years. So, but yeah, I could see that. I could see him being a focal point of the second unit and and actually having more value that way. But I think just man, if the Cavaliers were to roll him and Mitchell and Garland and Mobley and Allen out there at the same time, it would be pretty impressive. And let's and let's not even though they're they're different positions, Mobley and Jared Allen together in the front <clears throat> court this season should be really fun. And pick and roll is going to be a huge thing in Cleveland going forward, I think. Well, and we still love Evan Mobley, right, fantasy-wise. Nothing really changes oh, yeah. there. Yeah, I mean, for for his potential, I don't think, with the arrival. And Jared Allen was a monster last year before he got hurt. Mm-hmm. And we assume that Mitchell will pass to Jared Allen. Like, it's, <laughs> we, we think we think that he will, he will pass to his center in Cleveland. Okay, moving now to the Jazz. There's obviously a lot to digest here. For starters, we'll start with Colin Sexton, who was a restricted free agent and is – now, according to Shamstrani of The Athletic, getting a four-year, $72 million deal from the Jazz. So, obviously, he looks like a priority piece for them in this post-Mitchell landscape. Now, Steve, this past season was kind of a lost one for Sexton. But the last full season he played, he posted around 24 points, four and a half assists, 1.0 steals, 1.63s for Cleveland. He really hasn't been, like, a great fantasy player, partially because of the steals numbers I just mentioned. But, I mean, you look at this roster now and the deal they just gave him it feels like this guy is kind of the go-to guy now for them and the volume should be fantastic if nothing else well that's what i was gonna say i was gonna use use the word volume like he's he gets his stuff because he takes so much stuff he takes so many shots (laughs) so much stuff. he's a volume guy like he's he's Mm -hmm. inefficient i think when he he when he had that big season i don't think any of us looked at colin sexton and thought man what an incredible superstar he's going to be because he's he's just not that player. But he if he has the ball in his hands, he's going to put up numbers, I guess, is, is what I'm saying. And 
I don't see why he would not start at shooting guard, given all the, the money they just gave him and the fact he's on the team. Yeah, I think he's I think those numbers that you rattled off are what we're going to see again this season. Yeah, he's he's in for a big, big season from a scoring standpoint. Yeah. Like you mentioned, he's never been the most efficient player. And I think I'm interested to see what they do with Mike Conley. Um, I think the assumption is that he's on the trading block as well. You move him, you get the ball in the Sexton's hands. That could be that could mean a fantasy explosion in terms of the raw numbers. The percentages are probably going to take a hit. And then you kind of worry, all right, some of the other young guys, is he going to get them the ball enough to where they can be impactful? So I think that's the other thing. But, yeah, I think Sexton alone is a big winner, but you do kind of wonder what the other dominoes will be here. Yeah, and I, I think you just led us to the next point I wanted to hit, which is that you know this rest of this Utah guard rotation specifically, uh, we have a blurb up on NBC Sports Edge on the Roto World Player News page Friday morning, well, afternoon, via Adrian Wojnarowski saying that the Jazz are, go- are expected to continue unloading veterans, and that includes Mike Conley. It probably could include Jordan Clarkson, but just mm-hmm. trying to sort the rest of this out, Raph. I mean, if we think Colin Sexton is is locked in as a starter there, is there another backcourt guy you like? I mean, is it potentially Malik Beasley? What, what are your thoughts on potential backcourt opportunities beyond Sexton, assuming there are trades coming? I long thought that Beasley could be a trade candidate as well, just because of the value that he can give teams from a catch-and-shoot standpoint. Um, I think he was one of the leaders in the NBA in catch-and-shoot three-point attempts last season. So there's that. You know, if he stays, maybe he gets more opportunities to make plays with the ball in his hands as opposed to waiting to be past the ball. Um, Nikhil Alexander-Walker is another name that people have mentioned. I've never been sold on him because we see flashes, but he's never been able to put it together to the point where he sticks in a rotation Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they give Jared Butler a longer look as well. I think this is his final year. I'm not expecting as much from from Butler from a fantasy standpoint, but he could be an intriguing guy to keep an eye on if they give him some early opportunities to show what he can do in terms of running a team. So I don't know. I, Utah and Oklahoma City just, I don't know. It, I'm sure someone's going to step up, but there really isn't much in the way of actual excitement. Yeah, so we really, Steve, got to wait for more clarity, I think, when it comes to the backcourt beyond Sexton, it seems like. Wait for wait for more moves. I mean, you look at Utah's roster and their depth chart, and it's just, it's just a it's chaos. gobbly, gobbly goo. It's, it's just chaos. And, you know, if, Jerry, if uh, Jordan Clarkson doesn't get moved and stays there and survives all this chaos, I mean, he could blow up this year. Yeah. Um, I, I could see that happening. I, I think he's a really good player. He just... He's never been given um, a role where he can really excel in. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'd be intrigued by Clarkson. I was excited about Nikhil Alexander-Walker when he came into the league, um, but it just hasn't hasn't happened at all. So I Mm -hmm. I don't think there's any reason to get excited about it happening this this year either. But, man, that small forward – that small yeah. forward list is is something else. Well, let's go to it. Let's go to Stanley, it. Stanley Stanley Johnson. Let's let's yes. go to it because I personally, and I don't have confirmation of this yet, but I'm imagining that Utah is probably not going to do what Cleveland did and play Larry Markinen as a big small forward. Maybe they will, but putting that aside for now, we'll talk about power forward in a minute. If Markinen's at power forward. 
We've got Boyan Bogdanovich, who's still there, probably or potentially traded. You've got Ochai Baji, who we mentioned, the first rounder, Talon Horton Tucker, Nikhil Alexander Walker, etc. I mean, Raf, assuming let's let's assume for for all of our sakes here that Bogdanovich is out of the picture. Is there a guy you like here? Do you think they give a shot to Akbaji? That would be pretty intriguing. We obviously don't know yet, but but who do you potentially like? I like Akbaji just because of the defense. Um, mm-hmm. He was a really good defender throughout his college career at Kansas and steadily improved offensively. So I think if you're looking for the full package, he would be the guy. Mm-hmm. That being said, you know, Taylor Horton Tucker, I completely forgot about him. Like, <laughs> yeah, we heard so much about his potential, but it never yeah. came to fruition in Los Angeles. Maybe playing for a team that most people expect to be bad could open the door for him to provide fancy value. But yeah, I don't. If anything, I would probably take a speculative speculative jump on Agbaji late. But mm-hmm. the other guys, I, I don't know. I, I'd let them be someone else's problem in drafts. To be honest with you, yeah, I don't. I don't think I'm going to be messing with too many jazz players this year because. A, we I've already called him Oklahoma City Junior, right? Because of all the because of all the, the picks that they have. Uh, but another thing that I think they're gonna have in common with Oklahoma City is let's tank as hard as we can possibly tank and give ourselves the best odds to get Victor Wimbendama. And this this roster is perfect for that. So I personally hope we start Laurie Markinen at small forward so that Jared Vanderbilt can start at four uh whether that's going to happen or not we don't know we'll have to wait and see how they roll this in training camp also walker kessler i think uh is a sleeper for fantasy this year i can see him playing a lot of minutes at center and you know if they follow the thunder playbook and and tank it up this year a lot of these guys like you're going to see guys playing that you you didn't expect to be playing when we're sitting here in september talking about it I want to talk about Walker Kessler in a second, but first, were you with me when I said I imagine Markinen being at power forward this year? And if so, does that make you accordingly worried about Vanderbilt's sleeper appeal? Is that where we're at? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, you know, the one caveat to add to all this is that they have a first-year head coach, so mm-hmm. who knows how Will Hardy's going to approach this? Who's thing. younger than but- all of us by a long shot? I believe. Yeah, th- thanks for that reminder. Um, <laughs> Ralph, if you would have offered me the most – a million dollars to, to tell you who the head coach of Utah was right now, I, I could not have done it. <laughs> There's absolutely no way. Yeah. Um, so, props, good job. <laughs> thank you. Um, but yeah, in terms of Vanderbilt, I think in the aftermath of the Gobert trade, he was a guy that a lot of us got excited about fantasy-wise. Yeah. Uh, so he was effectively in a timeshare with Jaden McDaniels in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Go to Utah, a team that's rebuilding. Maybe you can get the opportunity to show everything that he can possibly do um, or just fail spectacularly, but at least he'd have the opportunity. But now with marketing. I don't know if they're going to – you can probably get away with it playing those guys at three and four because of how good Vanderbilt can be defensively. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if they're going to do that. So that's one of those things where you're kind of sitting on pins and needles waiting for media day to see if Will Hardy gives us any type of clue as to what he's thinking there. So I think Vanderbilt probably got the most to lose fantasy-wise right now. So 
let's play this game we haven't played in a while. Steve, how old is Lowry Markinen? Ooh, ooh, 20. I said it earlier in the show. <laughs> yeah, like 20. Oh, 25. 25. Yeah, 25. Yeah. So to me, to me, this is a guy who I think has some post-hype appeal on a really bad Utah team. Because, I mean, remember, let's go back to his early Chicago days. This is He was starting to look like a breakout guy. He averaged 19 and 9 one season. Um, never a great defensive stats guy, but enough to, to not be awful there. He had pl- plenty of threes. I don't know. I just think Markinen could be an appealing guy in Utah, putting aside the potential shutdown risks, um, just with a much bigger role in with that team, Raph. Yeah, I think if there's anyone on this roster that I'd be willing to roll the dice on in a draft, it would be Larry Markman. Because of what you mentioned earlier in terms of what he did in Chicago when healthy, um, the health is the question mark, I think, with right. him, you know, being able to stay healthy. But if you can get 65 games out of him in a system like that where the pieces are really lacking, mm-hmm. I think he can end up being a good fantasy value guy. That, you are that? correct. You are correct. But the key is getting 65 games out of Laurie Markin. 68, yeah. he played 68 his rookie year and then went 52, 50, 51, 61. So so if you get 65 games out of him, it's basically going to be a career high outside of his rookie mm-hmm. year. And again, I, this tanking, this shutdown uh, potential, this let's bench guys tonight and try not to win this game like all of that comes into play here and i do yeah. worry i marking him just makes me nervous because you know so much promise in 2018 when like you said he went 19 and 9 and then after that man it's it's just been you know he's, he has an average 15 points in three years so Potential breakout for sure in in Utah, but like I said, I I'm more intrigued to see what Jared Vanderbilt can do with the ball in his hands and with minutes. And I hope that Utah is not going to, you know, ruin Jared Vanderbilt with Laurie Markinen. But it's very possible it could happen. I also think the shine is is off of Markinen as a fantasy option so much. Those Chicago days, that 19 and nine season, feels so long ago. I don't think he's going to be a guy who has a prohibitive draft day cost i think so it's you know risky in terms of the shutdown steve but i don't think you're gonna have to you know use a like even of that valuable of a draft pick to get him let's when we at the end of the show when we talk about the draft that roth just did i'm, I'm very curious where markinen and jared vanderbilt went in that draft so it was note, before note to self. before the trade though steve it was but i'm still curious okay so Oh, yeah. I want to talk about Walker Kessler because I think that's an important name to keep in mind in Utah. I think he already should have been on our radar. I believe the center depth chart there is basically Walker Kessler and Yudoka Azubuki, Raf. And Walker Kessler, if I'm not mistaken, Raf's leaving. No, he'll be back. (laughs) Walker Kessler averaged 4.6 blocks per game, I think, in college, which is a a very uh, big number. I think this guy, what's his potential upside for you, Raf, this year? All right. First off, we're not going to expect that type of shot blocking production from him. I know four point six. Uh, pencil it in. Put it down. The defensive potential is what excites you. You know, he moves his feet relative. He moves his feet relatively well on the perimeter. So, you know, ball screen situations, he should be okay there. Um, you mentioned Adoka as a boy, He really hasn't been able to stay healthy. Um, suffered a really bad ankle injury during his rookie season. 
suffered another ankle injury last season. So he'll also have opportunities to play, but I don't think it's enough to where you get worried about Kessler. I wouldn't put Kessler in that class of guys like Paolo Bancaro and Jabari Smith, obviously, sure. the drafting rookies. But I think he's a top 10 guy in terms of who should be drafted and which rookie should be drafted just mm-hmm. because of that depth chart that you mentioned. I like it. Yeah, I feel pretty much the same way. Like, I, I could see me taking Walker Kessler at the end of all my drafts. Like, I, I he'll be a guy I put in my queue uh, to not forget about because I, I think the depth chart is just too – it's too perfect. He's he's a perfect center to play 25 or 30 minutes for a team that wants to tank and doesn't have a ton of talent uh, around him. So I like it. Raph, you are, as many know, a New York Knicks fan. You've done a great job of checking your emotions at the door here on this podcast. Um, I, I actually don't know how you feel about the Knicks not getting Mitchell, so I want to hear that. But I also want to ask you about – a guy the Knicks apparently reportedly would not trade, that being Quentin Grimes, to get Mitchell. I don't know if he was the ultimate holdup in this deal getting done, but it seems like he was one piece that prevented it from getting done. What do you think that means for Grimes fantasy-wise this upcoming season, if anything? Um, we'll start with Grimes first. I think that's a good sign for him. Um, he played extremely well in Summer League. He was on the, the first team, all Summer League team, or what have you. He didn't get the greatest number of opportunities to play rotation minutes last season. We saw some flashes. He had a 20-point game, followed it up with a 19-point game last season. Evan Fournier started 80 games last season and had one of the worst years of his career. Um, No, seriously. like You look at the numbers across the board, the percentages, he was objectively bad. So I think at minimum, you would expect Tom Thibodeau to open up the competition for that starting spot. Um, You've got Jalen Brunson and R.J. Barrett penned in there for their starting roles. Who starts at the two? I think Grimes with his combination of perimeter shooting ability where he can play off of those high usage guys and the defensive ability makes him a guy. I'm going to be targeting him in drafts for sure. So. You know, the, that's a, the second part of your question. The first part, I'm not too upset about it, to be honest with you. You know, mm-hmm. Utah obviously had a price tag that it wanted met. Mm-hmm. The Knicks had a price tag that they were willing to meet. They didn't match up. And I think if we're talking about a guy who's a surefire top 10 player right now, mm-hmm. then I'd be a bit more upset. I think Donovan Mitchell can in time become that. But you're looking at a situation similar to what they have in Cleveland. We have two smaller guards in the starting backcourt. And New York's defensive situation to three is a bit different than Cleveland's. Like R.J. Barrett took on those assignments. And he, as hard as he worked, I don't think he's a, a, a lockdown defender like an Isaac Okoro can't be, for example. So I'm not too broken up about it. You know, it would have been nice to have a, a local player, a local star, you know, wearing the orange and blue shirt. But I'm not too mad about it. By the way, Raph, you just um, you just mentioned how much how how bad Fournier was. You still just picture Tibbs being like that Fournier. He's just got <laughs> some about him. I don't know. I like his grit. Uh, you know, I just cut to Fournier getting 33 minutes a game and playing every single game this year. But I'm jo- I'm half joking. I-, I really hope your your optimism about Grimes is warranted because he seems like a pretty fun, intriguing player. Any thoughts for you, Steve? Before we take a quick break. No, I, I feel like Roth is the, the Knicks expert and uh, covered that pretty extensively. And I'm also a little concerned about where Roth's long crew is, but we can talk about that later. 
That's true. That's true. Uh, we do need to check in on that. But first, we are going to take a quick break. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Just a reminder, if you don't have the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet, go and download it now. The contests are free and easy to play. And you have a shot to win thousands by predicting what will happen in Major League Baseball, on the PGA Tour, NASCAR Circuit, and in Premier League. We also have a special contest on Tuesdays and Thursdays called Battle of the Bets, where you can agree or disagree with our experts for a shot to collect some cash. All right. Raf recently took part in a uh, mock draft with some industry experts. As Raf pointed out before we went on there here, it's August. Who cares? But... You know what? We care, Raph. That's who cares. <laughs> Steve and I care, and the listeners care. So we wanted to just, look, we're not going to put too much into an August mock draft. We're not going to grade your team. We just want to know where a few select guys went, you know? So, I mean, right. let's let's talk about it. I, any, I guess, first of all, do you have the results pulled up, Raph? Yes, I do have the results. Yeah. I, like, yeah. Was there any first-round surprises? I would start there. Yeah, um, to let the people know, it was a 9-cat, 12-team mock draft. Um as one would expect, Nikola Jokic went first overall. Um, mm-hmm. So no surprise there. You got Joel Embiid, Giannis. Luka Doncic went fourth. I had the fifth pick, and I took Stephen Curry there. Um, Love it. I think nothing really surprised me in terms of the top ten mm-hmm. um, in the first round, I should say. Trey Young went 12th. Um, that was an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Uh, given the, mat, the pairing between he and DeJounte Murray, but you can certainly see why it would be a first-round pick. Um, so no real surprises there. Damian Lillard went tenth. Uh, Jared took okay. him there. Um, uh-huh. So maybe, that may be a starting point given the injuries. Yeah, last that's one I was definitely going to ask you about Lillard. Um, I also want to ask you where did a guy I like to call Lamelo Ball go in this draft? Lamelo Ball was the first round pick. He actually went ninth. You know, right before game. Man. Yeah. Dang. I'm got, <laughs> really hoping I'm for got, early second. Really hoping I've for early second. Lam- yeah. I've got Lamelo ranked. Eighth in my rankings. Okay. Actually, can we just can we just do this for the next hour and a half, and I'll just fix all my rankings based on Ralph's uh, August draft. Steve, who do you want to ask about? (laughs) Yeah, I have a couple guards I want to start off with: Jalen Brunson and Ja Morant. Okay. Josh is probably easier to find than Jalen, I'm guessing. Yes, he is. John Morant went with the five, the second to last pick in the third round. So we're looking at pick number 35. Okay. That's where he went. He went right before Bradley Beal. Uh, Miles Turner went 34th. So that I know he's given a he's given high value when on the court, but since we really don't know what his future is in Indiana or elsewhere. That struck me as a bit interesting to go that high, that quickly on him. When you've got Jalen Smith, you got Isaiah Jackson. I don't really count Goga Bataze. I know he's going to play, but from a fantasy standpoint, mm-hmm. I don't think he's worth discussing. So I think the Miles Turner pick was the one that kind of caught me by surprise. Um, mm-hmm. A little bit. As for Brunson, he was selected in the seventh round. That was the second to last pick. 
uh, in between Jeremy Grant and Keegan Murray. So, I, I, I interesting stuff. Steve, did you have a reaction to that before I comment? I mean, I would love to get Jalen Brunson in the seventh round. Done. Like, they did, did not bring him to the Knicks to to not be the man. Like, yeah. that that's amazing to me that he went that late. Yeah. I know, Steve, you were, you were talking about taking him earlier than that. Um, and you probably will take him earlier than that. But it's good to know as of early September, that's where he is. I uh, You mentioned Bradley Beal there in the third round. That seems, Raph, like a potential steal because we talk about guys who, you know, could have the top 15, top 12 season in their range of outcomes who are going well beyond that. That that one jumps out at me. Yeah, so remember last year I was on the Bradley Beal bandwagon. I thought he could be a top five player. And he got hurt, and we saw it happen there. So he's got the clean bill of health now. I think playing next to Monte Morris will help him. I think that's a better fit in terms of point guard than Spencer Dinwiddie was. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think Bradley Beal is certainly a prime bounce-back candidate after last season. What about good old uh, guy we talked about early, much earlier in the show, DeJounte Murray, a guy who before the trade to the Hawks, we had you know locked in as a first-round pick, no doubt first-round fantasy pick if he was with the Spurs. Now he's playing with Trey Young. Where are we taking him? He went in the third round in this draft. Um, okay. Yeah. Let's see here. Yeah, in, I, he was in between Robert Williams and Pascal Siakam. Okay. So his screen's pretty small, so I can't really. <laughs> Raph is, Raph is <laughs> looking at this on a very small iPhone. He's... He's got a no, um, no. I just got my laptop. I'm just switching screens. It's yeah, kind of hard okay. to like. You're, you're navigating that. it like a pro, though. I, I don't think this right. is seamless. As far as <laughs> I'm concerned. Interesting. I, I get again. I think there's a chance with Dejounte that that could be an overreaction, right? To like yeah. an overcorrection. I think that's a guy who, you know, is first round still possible for him? Maybe not with Trey, but given. What where his value comes from, you know, the steals, et cetera. It's not out of the question. And I think second round is mm-hmm. well within reach for him. So I think if I can get him in the third, I love that. I absolutely love that. Yeah, I've got him ranked higher than that. And you know, let's not forget how good DeJounte Murray was last year. He had 13 triple doubles. The all-time leader in triple doubles for the Atlanta Hawks is Mookie Blaylock, who had like seven for his career. Uh DeJounte had 13 last year. And you know, the Hawks did not bring DeJounte Murray here to be Trey Young's backup. Like, he's going right. to be out there running. Like, I'm super excited. I Is he going to have 13 triple-doubles playing alongside Trey? Probably not. But is he going to go off and be be a great fantasy player? I, I don't see why why he would not be. Um, Roth, and I, I know this is torture for you because we're just throwing these names at you and you're, you're looking at you're looking at your uh, your flip phone. Um but I want to know where KD and Kyrie went because we had a lot of talk last week about KD mm-hmm. and everybody likes to talk about Kyrie. So I'm curious. Well, KD went seventh overall. Uh, he's right between Jason Tatum and James Harden. Um, Kyrie was picked, taken with the third pick of the second round by Jared. Um, mm-hmm. So we're looking at pick number 15 there. So And did Jared yell Kyrie. loudly after making that pick? Did he... Did he well, put anything in chat in all caps? He did not. He just took Kyrie and, and kept him moving. But yeah. All right. All right. I feel like Jared is not afraid to take a very controversial player. Like, he, he I think he kind of thrives on that. Like, oh, I'm going to take Kyrie. I don't care what, what – like, he just seems like he – that's 
he likes to do that once a draft. Sure, likes to get a reaction from the draft room. Um, by the way, Mookie Blaylock, at least one of his triple doubles was with steals, which is a pretty neat thing to do. <laughs> but uh, Steve, any others you want to <laughs> ask? Any others we want to ask Raph about before we uh, before we move on? Before we get out of here, I, I have two two okay. that I must. I must know how high yes. did Tyrese Halliburton go? I love that one. That's a great he one. He was the thirteenth pick. So the same guy who took Trey Young took Tyrese with the oh, next pick. Man, love draft. what he a got, squad put he that got guy Trey, He got Trey and Tyrese Halliburton. His first three picks were Trey, Tyrese Halliburton, and Bradley Beal. So oh, his guard, everybody stayed squad healthy. Right there. That. Yeah. That's my squad. Trevor won the I, league. Trevor won the league, guys. I need to know where the big one, where the big one went. Where did Zion Williamson go? Ah, nice one. Uh, no, that one. You yeah. might have to dig scrolling a down. Bit. You scrolling down, Raph? Not too far, but like I said, these names are printed pretty small. We really, we, we it would have been nice if we would have given him a list before we did this. No, this is way better. Yeah. <laughs> I love, <laughs> no, I love this. <laughs> Torturing. All right, now I found him. He is. He was a. Let's see. Is I also have to do this whole snake thing and kind of, yeah. He right. was the um, or what round? He was in the fourth round, so he was okay. in between Zach Levine and Chris Middleton. So surely Jared took him. No, Josh oh. actually took him. Okay, Josh, Josh Lloyd, Lloyd, who who I believe emceed this gracious. Yes, he, did. he He organized it, so thank yeah. you to Josh for that. Yeah, but yeah, Zion fourth round pick. I've nice. got Zion at fifty one currently, so that's. That seems to be in line with where where he went. Now, would I take Zion Williamson at fifty one? I don't know that I could do it, but it mm-hmm. that seems like where he should he should be like fifty. He's because mm-hmm. he could, you know, like Laurie Markkinen. If you can get sixty five games out of Zion, uh, look out. Last one, Raph. Last one for me. Where do the where do you know? Obviously, Chet Holmgren's out for the year, but where do the buzzy rookies go? The Jabari Smith, the well, you mentioned Keegan Murray already, but what about Paolo Bancaro and Jabari Smith? Where did those guys go? Oh, he's gonna have to dig for those, man. That was no, man, not that far. No, they they were also seventh round picks. Jabari was oh. the first one taken. He was oh. in between Franz Wagner and Michael Porter Jr. And then two picks after Michael Porter Jr. Bancaro came off the board in between okay. Yusuf Nurkic and PJ Washington. So hmm. All that all Steve heard there in that entire sentence was Michael Porter Jr. seventh round. Is that yeah, I, I got him? Yeah, I got. You got it. him. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Now that is a spot where you just took a huge swing in the middle of your draft. While other people now, there's some other swings around you. I mean, I like the, some of those other picks as well, but I like it, Raf. Seventh well, round for MPJ. Have you not seen the t- seven second s- video? Have you not seen that one video of him hitting like <laughs> him four playing, jump shots in a gym? Of him playing at the Y? Are you kidding me? Seventh <laughs> this round? guy is draining jumpers in a pickup basketball environment, and we're, we're letting him fall to the seventh round. Unbelievable. Uh, oh, well, that was cool. I'm glad we did that. Just some insights. You know, I mean, all of this could change. Guys could move a ton, obviously, in the week's ahead but uh good to take a little snapshot there and quickly one piece of news before we go steve alexander uh you reported and by that i mean shams charani reported uh before we went on the air that danilo gallinari in fact has a torn acl which we thought was an mcl but it turns out it's an acl thoughts does it matter for fantasy 
Well, it stinks for Danilo Gallinari. In the sure, Celtics. I didn't mean to sound. I didn't mean to sound. <laughs> of course, it's a fantasy <laughs> podcast, and it's the forty fifth minute, forty fourth minute. You yeah. heartless. Who's the next guy? No. <laughs> next man up. No, obviously brutal. That was a big addition for them, and I did not mean to. You did. Been a long I morning, was just guys. Around. Yeah. Um, so it stinks for him, fantasy wise. I don't. I mean, he he was already hurt. Like, like, I don't know it. It probably helps uh, Grant Williams. I kind of feel like Grant Williams is on the verge of doing something big this year, but it helps Grant Williams. It, it means mm-hmm. Al Horford's going to have to play more minutes than he was probably planning on. But I mean, Jason Tatum was the one that was going to be holding that down anyway. So I think what I would wonder is if this potentially puts Boston in the mix for a guy like a Bojan Bogdanovich. I know mm-hmm. he's going to make $19.5 million this season, but. He fills a, a somewhat similar role to what they're looking from get for from Gallinari. Maybe they threw their hat in the ring there because they're going to need a, a kind of a second unit score who can man that power forward position. Maybe in a little bit of three as well, because you also have Grant Williams, as Steve mentioned. But mm-hmm. I think Boston, I don't really know if there's anybody you can really sign who's still a free agent right now. Um, mm-hmm. Marquis, as we saw, he's headed to Brooklyn, so... I don't know. It, it, would t- it would probably take a good bit to uh, swing a trade for Boyan Bogdanovich because of his salary. But I think that's the type of player that could potentially help Boston if they're looking to fill that void. Interesting. Yeah, I like that. Solid take. Okay. Well, Thank you. thanks. For- hey, Raph, great job. <laughs> You're welcome. Great job. Great job there. That's going to do it for us on this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen. Take a moment to rate and review us as well. We'd appreciate that. We are currently here on a once-a-week schedule. We're here every Friday, so I'm sure we'll have plenty more to talk about next week. Uh, I want to say thanks to everyone for listening and for watching live with us today. And Steve, Raph, thanks to you guys. Enjoy your weekend. I will be talking to you soon. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.